Praise the Lord. Testing. All right. You're all set to go. Yeah, you never know with the technology, right? <laughs> and then you think it's going, and then after you feel good that you, you, the word you preached and it's lost. Father, we just thank you just for, as we said this morning, Christ in the ear of every person who hears this message in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Glory to God. Um, you mind if I move this table back yeah. a little bit? Because I might fall over it backwards. If I do fall over it backwards, just laugh. It'll be okay. You don't have to worry. You can gasp and then laugh. Okay? And then we can, I can send it to America's Funniest Home Videos in America. Right? And I might, I might win a prize. Glory to God. Um, yeah, the, the people in our church back home, they love to see the videos. They, they love to be encouraged knowing that there's churches all over the world um, that are fellowshipping around Jesus and the goodness of God. And so thank you guys so much for bearing with me, setting that up. And my wife especially um, loves to see the videos because we haven't seen each other for a while now. And um, we don't have any children, so it's her and I. And it's been her and I for a long time, right? And so when I leave and I'm gone, you know, there she is. And she can feel like, where's Greg? You know, kind of like God, where's Adam? And uh, so it's nice for her to see the videos and, and get a good laugh. And so thank you guys for that. Um, you know, God has honored all of us. It sounds like a shocking thing to say. I understand. Because of the word that, that Satan planted into the earth about human. Because you can think, how could it be that God has honored us? How could it be? But you know, God, when he sees you, he sees that you're his image. You're his kind. Right? And when he sees you, he honors you as his kind. And you might think, well, how, how do you know he's honored us? Well, I can tell you how I know he's honored you, because when he looked at you dead in sin, he saw that you were like him, and he thought it's not right for my people to be dying, because there's no death in me, there's only life. So he bowed his head and honored all of us when he came into the earth and gave up his own body to be broken so that we could be redeemed back from death, and we could be exalted unto his life. And so during worship, I could, I could just see God honoring, honoring us, and and he's honored all of us, but I had somebody particularly in my head. There's somebody that I feel like um, their reputation is under assault or their name is under assault and they're being tormented by that. That there's something going on in their life, whether in their family or in a business or just in their history or their past, that they felt tormented because they think their name or their reputation has been torn down or under assault for some reason. And the reason why the torment is there, and it's not even that I feel like you know that you're doing this, but the reason the torment is there is because you think that there's honor found in what people think of you. And you're seeking the honor that comes from man. And God wants you to know that there's no honor in what human beings think of you, that the only honor there is and the honor that you're actually seeking is the honor that he has given you when he sent his son into the earth to remove the death that was reigning over you. And so you, don't, you can write that down if you like, but I think a better thing for you to do if that's you is for you to just start talking with the Father and, and just let your heart be discerned by him. And just realize you're seeking honor and that you don't know exactly what it looks like maybe, but that he's honored you and ask him to unwrap that for you so you can live all your days living by the fact that he's already honored you, right? We seek honor from each other. 
But Jesus said, how can you receive the honor that comes from God if you're seeking honor from one another? It's vain. It's vain glory, right? And so if that's you, just be encouraged um, that God has bowed his head to you and he'll unwrap that for you. You're going to be set free. You're not going to have any more torment about your name or your reputation or what people think of you. And it won't be by, by your doing. Glory to God. You know, you can, you can always give so many words to people about things that you see. And you guys bear with me one second while I, I fix this. One of the messages I preached, the iPad wouldn't stay awake. And so it was locking every 30 seconds. And so I'm busy preaching and touching the iPad while I'm moving my hand and touching the iPad. I don't know if anybody picked up on that, but it was a funny thing. <laughs> oh, glory to God. It's beautiful in Ireland. I love it here. I love the people here. I'm going to end up sounding um, like a broken record because I just see something in the people in Ireland that just blesses me. It's such a blessing to be here with you all. And it isn't just one of the, the bodies, all of the bodies that I've gone through. There's just like this joy, joy for the Lord. There's like an exuberance. There's like a spirit in you people, if I can say that. There's a spirit in you guys that just blesses the Lord. It just blesses the Lord, and it blesses me. And so I'm so happy to be here with you all, and I hope you know that that's in you, right? And so if there's ever something that tries to come against you, that you're sad, or there's depression, or that there's those kinds of things, that's a lie from the pit of hell. There's no depression here. There's joy. And because there's so much joy here, the spirit of depression has tried to come against the people in this place right? And the world will always give a testimony that tries to contradict the testimony of God. And I just see God speaking over the people of Ireland. And I see him speaking and blessing them because he feels blessed by the joy and the spirit that's in you guys. So be encouraged in that. Um, but yeah, you can give words about all kinds of things and people's personal lives, their lives going on in the world and things that are happening. And that's always good. But I, I feel to, to, to give everybody a word about what God's doing in your life, right? Because there's something God's doing in all of our lives. There's something that God poured out his spirit into the earth to do in all of our lives. And I started touching on this earlier, right, about um, God working in our lives and us seeing with natural eyes sometimes and not seeing what God's done, right? But the, the, the scripture says in Romans 8 that we haven't been given the spirit of fear, but we've been given the spirit of adoption, right? And what the spirit of adoption is doing in all of us right now, what it's doing in all of us right now, whether you think you see it, whether you think you feel it, it's a beautiful thing about God. He doesn't need you to think you see it or for you to feel it in order for him to be doing what he does. God does what he do, right? And you can't stop it. You call upon the name of the Lord and then the spirit of the son comes and dwells in you. And then the spirit of the son does the same thing in you that it did in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so the spirit of adoption that's been poured out, what it's doing in all of us right now is it's immersing us in Father, Son, and Spirit. It's immersing us in the life of the Godhead. And that spirit of the Son that was in Jesus when he gave up the ghost, when he laid down the life he could gain from the world so that he might inherit the kingdom of God inside of his human body, that spirit is in us. And it's causing us to give up the ghost. And it doesn't come and tell you to give up the ghost. It brings about something in you when you can see what you can gain from the world and you see that it's dung towards giving you life. And so then you lay it down, right? And it's in that place that that same Holy Spirit causes you to be resurrected, right? Not just in theory, not just a one-time deal when you called upon the name of the Lord, but when you find yourself immersed in the life of the Godhead as you walk in this earth every day. That's the work of the Spirit in you right now. Right now, the Spirit's doing that inside of you, right? Because the, the thing that works against us experiencing the life of God is that the world comes and convinces us that we can find the peace and the love and the joy and the wholeness and the satisfaction we all long for. It comes to convince us that we can find it here. And then the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us and opens our eyes and shows us that the good, even the good things in the world that we might enjoy, those things cannot fulfill us. They cannot satisfy our desire for life. They cannot fill us with peace and love and joy. And then we become like the Apostle Paul, where Paul had a bunch of things in the Jewish system. I don't know if you realize that Paul had a lot of clout in the Jewish system. He would have had all the best seats. He would have had the honor and the respect of the Pharisees. He, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, according to the law, blameless, the righteousness that you could have from performing the works of the law. He was blameless. And Paul come and said something magnificent. He said, I counted it all as dumb. He gave up the ghost. And he didn't give up the ghost by his own strength or his own desire. There's something that happened to him that caused him to give up the ghost. And the thing that happened to Paul that caused him to give up the ghost is when he was on the road to Damascus and he beheld the glorified man Jesus. And when he saw the glorified man Jesus, it discerned his heart and it taught him real clearly, the world can't give you that. Heap it all unto yourself. Gather everything unto yourself. It's not going to glorify your body with the immortality of God. And it was in that place that the Spirit caused Paul to lay down the life he had from the world. That caused him to lay down what he could gain from the world. And he says why. I counted it all done for what? For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, that I might be intimate with the power that manifested in his resurrection, that I might have intimacy with the life that can even raise a dead man from the grave. That's what he's doing in all of us. And in fact, the reason why it happened in Jesus, because it had to happen in a human being before a spirit could be poured out on all flesh that could do the same thing in other human beings. And that's why the Spirit couldn't be poured out till Jesus was raised and sat at the right hand of God. And now that Spirit's been poured out to do the same thing in us. That's what He's doing in you. Right? That's what He's doing in you. If you didn't know. <laughs> he, the Spirit come to give your life shape and form. It says that the Spirit was poured out. And hovered over the earth. And darkness and chaos was upon the face of the deep. And it says that the Spirit hovered over the face of the deep in order to give the earth shape and form. 
Do you know what that means? To bring forth life in it. To bring forth order out of the midst of chaos is what it says. Do you know when it talks about the Holy Spirit being released into the earth, it describes the Holy Spirit as a mother hen that would be hovering over her eggs to incubate life. Now listen, that's not just some fanciful creation tale in Genesis. Although it's pretty magnificent, isn't it? I mean, it's powerful. But it's trying to tell us something about what the Holy Spirit does when it's released. Right? And the Holy Spirit's been released into the earth to give us shape and form, to create us in the image of Christ Jesus. It comes and it creates the same faith that was in the Son of God inside of our hearts. And that faith is in our hearts. The whole of that faith is in our hearts now. And the Spirit is constantly unwrapping that faith in our midst like a wonderful, beautiful gift. Right? Shape and form. It's given the belief in your heart shape and form. So that you have the faith of God. From faith to faith. I mean, Jesus didn't say have faith in God. Although we've been persuaded that God is the only one with life and that he's come to give us life. But Jesus said have the faith of God. And and Paul come and said that God gave to every person the measure of faith. So that faith could create you in the image of Christ Jesus. You don't work faith, faith works you. It says God created everything by the spirit of faith. And so in the day God wants to create his life in you, in the day he wants to call forth his life in you, he's going to do it by giving you his faith. So that faith can dwell in your heart, give your heart shape and form, and then produce the life of God. Let there be light. Right? You guys follow that? Thank you, Jesus. We'll just pray real quick. Thank you, Father, for for pouring out your Holy Spirit, Lord. You know, when Jesus said that he was going away and that he was going to send another, Lord, we could easily think, no, what do you mean? But I thank you, Father, that you didn't just pour out the Holy Spirit on us, but that you filled us with your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit in the people's hearts tonight will be like a master artiste painting a picture in their hearts of the new creation, Lord, that they can find themselves living from the new creation instead of the first creation. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. I want to keep building on um, some things that I talked about this morning. I'm going to try and talk slower because we might not have thought about the cross from this perspective. Um, But I want to keep building what I talked about this morning about Uh, life and having the Father's life and and the effect it has on our hearts to have um, an incorruptible life. And I want to connect it to the new creation because all of us know about the new creation, don't we? And we're a new creation. If I'm being honest, I said I was a new creation for years and I really didn't have any idea what that meant. But I knew it was exciting. And I think the closest I got based on my theology as a young person was that I was a worm to God. You know, he didn't like me very much because after all, look at all the things that I've done, right? And so my idea of the new creation was God got it right to do something to where he could like me. And that's what a new creation is, right? And, and that, was, that was nice. You felt relief to think that God liked you, right? Because it doesn't feel good when you think God doesn't like you or that he was disgusted with you. 
It doesn't feel nice. But I realize the new creation has so much, it, it, it's so much more powerful than, than that type of a description. And God was able to use my ignorance, and ignorance isn't an insult, He was able to use my ignorance to fill me with relief, to convince me that He wasn't despising me, to get me close enough to Him where I could start hearing what the new creation was really about. Because, you know, I, I felt like I was like a dog on the outside of the house. You see what I'm saying? And it's like I was always window shopping. Like we had a dog and it was a husky. And so the dog would tear up the house. And so the dog could not live in the house. The dog lived outside of the house and the dog had a dog glue, its own little house out in the back. But the dog never wanted to live outside. It was always looking in the window, wanting to get in there, wanting to see what was going on, wishing that it could be allowed in there. You see, in, in my life with God, I realized I kind of felt like the dog, right? The, the, there's the house of God, but I, I can't really go in there because I might go in there and get a spanking. Right? Because I might not belong in there after all, because I thought God was disgusted with me. And so the new creation, when I thought, oh, that, that means God's not disgusted with me anymore. I'm beautiful to God now. What that did is that brought me into the house. Right? Whereas before, God's talking, but because I'm so far away, I'm struggling to hear him. Right? It gets me close enough to where he can start telling me what the new creation is all about. Right? The new creation is not about you becoming beautiful to God. You were always beautiful to God. The scripture says that you're the treasure in the field. I hate to break it to you. You can't sell everything you have and buy the field, right? God sold everything he had. He emptied his life to buy the field, right? Because of the treasure he saw in the field, right? While we were yet dead in sin, God demonstrated his love for us in that Christ laid down his life for us. I don't know if we think about what that means. He's trying to tell us something about his love. He's trying to tell us his love and the beauty he beheld in us never had anything to do with our sin. That's a hard thing. It was a hard thing for me, right? He justifies the ungodly. And so there, there's so much more to say about the new creation. Um, and when we say new creation... Immediately when we say new creation, we're making the first one old and ready to pass away. And if I'm being honest, and I, I'm, I can't help but be honest, even if I think I upset people, something happens to me, I'll turn into the Hulk and I'll say it anyway. <laughs> There's no guile in me. There's no deceit. I'm just going to say it. If I'm being honest, the, the things that torment all of our lives the things that ail our lives in this world is that it's a struggle for us to see that the first creation has passed away. And we spend a lot of our time living from the first creation instead of living from a new creation, right? And, and one of the things, that's, it's not that we don't want to live from the new creation, it's just we, we, we haven't really connected with what is this new creation all about? Where does it come from, right? And everything that torments our lives finds its origin in the first creation that was subjected to death. I mean, Adam was tormented the moment he ate from the tree. It says that creation was made subject to vanity by Adam bringing death into the earth. And the moment he subjected creation to death, and he was in a creation full of death, we see Adam immediately tormented. Right? And so when God comes to bring forth a new creation, he's trying to deliver us from the torment. And so because we're in this world... 
It can be difficult for the first creation to pass away from our hearts and our minds, right? Because we're in this world, it can be difficult for us not to identify our lives with this world. It can be difficult for us to identify our lives with a heavenly country. It can be difficult for us to see we're strangers in a strange land, meaning that we're not part of this world, but that we're part of a new creation that God has brought forth on the shoulders of Jesus' indestructible life. Right? And so it can be difficult. We can become forgetful hearers. Right? We can forget. We can forget what type of a people we are. We can look into the perfect law of liberty and we can behold ourselves in the perfect law of liberty. And then we can go away and forget that we're a new creation. We can go away and forget that God has liberated our lives from this earth and that he's hidden our lives with him in Christ and that Christ is the new creation. And inside of the body of Christ, there is no corruption. There is no death. There is no lack. There is no sin inside of the body of Christ. There's no decay and there's nothing that can decay. There's no moss that are going to climb up into heaven and eat away at his life. We, we have a lot of moths in Louisiana. Man, and you don't see them. You don't see that they're there. But they get in there. And just recently I had to do a wedding and I was like, okay, I got a suit for the wedding. And I went in there to get that suit and I pulled that thing out and there were moth holes all in that. Right? Do you know how I felt? Tormented. I felt angst for a moment because that suit cost a lot of money, right? And that suit's supposed to last forever. <laughs> I mean, that's what we're wanting, though. We're wanting to be clothed in a suit. We're wanting a suit to be tailored for us that will last forever, that moss can't rot away, that, that can't be rusted. And that's what the new creation is all about. And so we forget. And that's what James is talking about, just so you know, guys, when he says we're forgetful hearers. To be doers of the word is not talking about the good things you can perform. To be doers of the word is to continuously behold yourself in the perfect law of liberty. That's what he says. He says those who continue to behold themselves in the perfect law of liberty, they are doers of the word. Right? And actually, that's the exhortation that the entire body of Christ needs because we become a forgetful people. That's why Peter says, I cease not to stir you up by way of remembrance. And so we, we can forget that our lives have been brought forth out of the vanity that the first creation was made subject to. And then we can find ourselves walking around like Adam did after he subjected earth to death. Right? And so I just want to talk about the, the new creation. The Apostle Paul, he says a magnificent thing in Galatians 5 about the, the power to experience the fruit of the Spirit. If you go and read Galatians 5, he actually talks about what can produce peace and love and joy in us and patience in us and what can produce the fruit of God's life in us. And he, he comes and says, neither circumcision or uncircumcision has any ability to produce the fruit in this, of the Spirit in you. And he says the ability for the fruit of the Spirit to be born in your life, he says the way the fruit of the Spirit will come forth in you, it's based on the fact that Christ Jesus has brought forth a new creation. He says neither circumcision or uncircumcision availeth anything but a new creation. Right? Now, if Paul comes and says that, we ought to give more careful attention to what does that mean then, Father? How does a new creation fill us with your life? 
How is there power in that? And we, ought, we want to get caught up in this contemplation or this wrestling with God, like, like it talks about Jacob wrestling with God, right? It's not a negative thing to wrestle with God. And you start talking with him about these things. Father, I see that you've brought forth a new creation. I see the Apostle Paul says that's the only thing that avails anything. Unwrap that for me. It's his good pleasure to unwrap it. He will unwrap it for you. John's gospel says that Jesus created everything. It says that all things were created by Jesus and without him was nothing made that was made. He made everything. The apostle Paul comes and confirms that. I love Paul and John. Right? I think those are my two favorite apostles if I'm speaking as a fool because obviously they're all great and they're all equal in Christ. But I love John and Paul because they, they seem to have been really immersed in, in the love of God. And they, they have contrasting styles. I think their, their revelation is equally uh, rich, but they come and explain it differently. But, but Paul comes and says the same thing John says about Jesus creating all things. He says in chapter 1 of Colossians, Jesus is the chief of all creation, he says. He says, Jesus created the heavens and the earth. So Paul starts talking about creation and Jesus being the chief of all creation and Jesus creating all things. And then he says something magnificent. He goes on to say that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead in order that he might have preeminence over all things. He's still talking creation. And he's talking about how Jesus made a new creation, right? And there's a richness to what Paul's saying. There's layers to what Paul says. There's layers to the word. Like this beautiful sister said, listen, I preach a message and there's power in sitting here listening to the message. But man, you can go and listen to that message over and over and over and over again. And the Holy Spirit will reveal something new to you every single time. And the gospel is not something you're designed to hear one time and then understand in your intellect and walk away. The gospel is not, well, you learned two plus two and now you know it's four and that's all you need. It continuously discerns your heart. It continuously unveils the Father in your midst. It continuously unveils His life in your midst. It continuously unveils how His life delivers you from everything that ails you. It continuously refreshes you with the presence of the Father. And I don't, I mean, I've listened to a lot of messages and I've read a lot of things. I don't think I've heard anybody really unwrap what Paul is talking about here. Because we get so consumed with just our individual salvation. Oh, he's the firstborn from the dead. Hallelujah. And now we can be the born from the dead. And that's all true. But Paul's talking about creation. And he's talking about how Jesus brought forth a new creation. So Jesus was the firstborn from the dead that he might have preeminence over all things. That word preeminence, guess what it means? To be chief of all things. So he says, Jesus is the firstborn from the dead that just as he was the chief, of the first creation, he could be the chief or a beginning of a new creation. Because you can't have a new creation unless the chief of the first creation could then enter in and be the chief of a new creation. You can't have that. You see, but we got a little bit of problem now because the first creation that was made has now been subjected to vanity and it's now dead. It's in death. So how is that creation going to be brought out of death unless the chief of that creation could enter into that death and after entering into that death, bring forth that creation that was dead out of death on the shoulders of his indestructible life? 
And this is what Hebrews is talking about. I used to argue with people that Paul wrote Hebrews. If I upset your theology, just laugh with me. It's not that serious. Although I think the people in, in Ireland understand some of these things aren't that serious. But I used to, it's Paul, it's Paul, it's Paul. And I can even prove it to you. Right? And you think, I'm so smart. I have it all figured out. And you're, It's Paul, it's Paul. And then one day, you know, there's a difference between wisdom and being smart. Right? And then one day, a real wise guy in my church came to me and said, Greg, maybe it is Paul. You're probably right. But if the Holy Spirit saw fit not to add the name, maybe there's a reason. And so why would we add the name? <laughs> you can't argue with that logic. Trust me, I wanted to. <laughs> right? And, and so I didn't argue with that. But, but Hebrews goes into the same thing Paul's getting into describing about Jesus creating anew and what it is. In Hebrews 2.9, it says Jesus was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Verse 10 says, it became him. It was fitting for him. It was proper for him. It was right for him. If he wanted to bring his children out of death, if he wanted to bring his creation out of death, it was proper for him, if he was the chief of the first creation, to now enter into that death with them and partake with them in that death so that in partaking with them in that death, he could now be the chief of a creation that's dead in sin. And now in being the chief of a creation that's dead in sin, he can bring that creation out of the grave and he can create a new creation that is in the likeness of God's immortality. For as much as the children were made partakers of flesh and blood, which means death. Jesus himself likewise took part of the same. And we can rejoice in this on an individual level, absolutely, but he's talking creation. Death was tearing us apart. We were a death-torn creation. Well, how do you think a creator would feel about his creation being torn apart? What do you think he would think about that? Do you think he just flippantly made everything? I mean, this God that's so detailed, this God doesn't just accidentally do something. He didn't just walk outside and say, let's see what can happen. I mean, he was purposeful. He was careful. He says, it's good. It's good. It's good. It's very good. Now, what do you think this God is thinking about the creation he said is very good now being torn apart by death? What do you think he's thinking about there? Right? He's thinking, I'm going to enter into my death-torn creation so that I can bring that death down upon myself. Because inside of me is an incorruptible seed. And when I bring the death that is tormenting my creation down on top of me, it will destroy that death. And when I come out of the grave, because death can't hold me, I'm going to come out with a creation that can't be held by death either. And we see pictures of this. Samson. What were Samson's arms like? Stretched out and tied to pillars. 
What was Jesus' arms like? Stretched out, nailed. But what did Samson do? He pulled down the pillars on himself so that the enemy could be destroyed. I know we think people are our enemies, but the Bible says death is the enemy. That's the enemy of God, death. Because in him is life, there's no darkness or death in him. That means the enemy of life has got to be death. And so when God thought about pulling down our enemies and destroying our enemies, he thought about pulling down death onto himself, right? Because it's not possible for death to hold him. That's why when Jesus went down into Hades, it wasn't possible for the gates of hell to hold him there. He kicked open the gate and he took back the keys of hell. And he, what Jesus has opened, no man can close. And he received the keys of David. And he gave us the keys of David, which is the keys to a heaven, the keys to a new creation. He opened up our eyes. He healed our blindness. Now we can see that we're part of a new creation that's been born from the indestructible life of Jesus Christ. There's a creation that's born upon the shoulders of his indestructible life. The government is upon his shoulders. We're so worried about what the governments in the world are doing. But we're not citizens of that government. We're citizens of the government that's been born on the shoulders of his indestructible life. The Old Testament dudes knew this. Pilgrims. Strangers in a strange land. I may end up moving here, and so then I might find myself having to deal with some of those things. And when I say here, I mean anywhere in Ireland. But I got to tell you, I'm not worried about the laws in Ireland. I mean, I love you guys, and so if you're suffering under some man-made thing, it could grieve my heart. But my mind isn't filled with the laws that govern Ireland. I'm not busy trying to figure out how to fill out taxes in Ireland. I'm not trying to figure out what I need to do to not go crossways with the government here. Do you know why? Because I'm not a citizen of Ireland. I mean, we got our minds filled with the government of this world, the government that's been built on the shoulders of Satan's destructive life or his perishable life. And we're living as if we're part of a creation that's perishing and decaying and dying, but we're not. He's on the cross pulling that death that his creation was made subject to, that was tearing us apart, down on himself. So that a new creation wherein only righteousness dwells could be born upon his shoulders. Right? That's what he's doing. And, and that's really the only way Jesus can be the chief of a creation that's born from the dead, is if he first enters into the death that's reigning over his creation. Hebrews 1 says Jesus is the express image of God. It says he's the brightness of God's glory. It says he upholds all things by the word of his power. Jesus is the word that holds everything together. So if he's looking at his creation being torn apart and he's thinking of how can I hold this creation together, what he's going to do is he's going to enter into our death-torn lives so that he could hold it together. And that's what he's doing on the cross. That's why he says it came in the likeness of sinful flesh. The body, the Father prepared a body for His Word. So that just as He released His Word in Genesis to give shape and form to creation, He could release His Word into the earth once again. 
to give shape and form to his creation, which means to bring forth life, to bring forth life. That's why the Holy Spirit impregnated Mary. That's the word. It's the spirit the father released to bring forth creation the first time. Here he is doing it all over again to bring forth life, to bring forth a new creation. And this time, this new creation will have a life that can't be corrupted ever again. So we don't live with the same torment the first Adam lived with. Right? That's why he was born of a woman, born under the law, born under the law of sin and death. That's why he gave his body up to be broken. We only think of Jesus in the perspective of Messiah. And that's a big part of Jesus, right? And we think about him coming and saving just people. But something we lose sight of about Jesus is that he's Alpha and Omega. And there's never a time when he isn't Alpha and Omega. And he was released into the earth in the beginning to accomplish the Father's purpose. And the Father's purpose was to create us in his image, but also in the likeness or after the likeness of his incorruptible life. And that's why in the end, when death is cast into the lake of fire, Alpha and Omega says it is done. What is done? A creation has been brought forth in an incorruptible life. An earth has been created that has a life that can't be corrupted ever again. There's no sin and death in this earth. There's no lack in this earth. There's no weakness in this earth. There's only abundance and abundant life in this earth. And that's what God released Jesus into the earth to do in the beginning. That's his ministry. His ministry is to come and minister to all of us of himself, his indestructible life to creation. Right? I'm going to say some things that are going to make you be like, what? And it'll be good for you to go and twist on, like this dear sister says here. Twist on it. Ask God. Be Bereans. Right? Don't ever listen to what any preacher says to you except your pastor. <laughs> listen to him. Everybody else, go pull it up and look at it. Twist on it. Right? But John 12, 23 and 24. This is Jesus talking. He's talking about when he's going to go to the cross. And it's powerful what he says here. And I love how you started talking about the seed. You were prophesying when you're talking about the seed. And I love how you were talking, uh, you were prophesying, right, about everything we say, we're talking about the love of God for mankind and for his creation. And the great length that he went to, to deliver us from vanity and to bring us forth on the shoulders of his life, right? And I keep using the word indestructible and incorruptible. I'm using these words on purpose. Because the world says life is fragile. How many of you think life is fragile? That's what the world's taught us since the time we grew up. Life is fragile. But the life we have is not fragile. And the Father wants to persuade our hearts of the substance of the life that we have so we can begin to live and experience the fruit that comes forth from possessing an indestructible life. So I have in my notes that I need to say it at least 20 times. No, I'm joking. <laughs> John chapter 12, verse 23. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. 
Now, Jesus is talking about the cross there. And I always knew he was talking about the cross there. But something had escaped my sight for a lot of years and until recently. He's talking about the cross, but he's talking about the cross in a very strange way. At least it was strange to me then. It's not strange to me now because I understand now. But I always used to only see the cross as the place of suffering. I only saw the cross as the place of death. But Jesus is talking creation language when he's talking about a seed falling into the ground and dying. And then unless the seed falls in the ground and dies, it, cannot, it abides alone and it can't bear much fruit. So Jesus isn't just talking about going and suffering at the cross. He's talking about creation. And he's talking about the Father sowing his seed, which is his life, into the earth in order that he would not abide alone, but that he could have a creation wherein his life dwells. He could bear much fruit, which means that there could be a new creation and that we would dwell with him in this new creation. The Father sowed himself into the earth. It's his word. That's his seed. The Holy Spirit is his seed. I'm going to expand. It's a heavenly language. We get these boxes in our, our natural minds, in our human minds. Right? And so, yes, G Jesus is the Son of Man on the cross. And we see a whole lot of things in seeing Jesus as a man, because we're human beings, and that ministers powerful truths to us about our lives with God, right? But Jesus is the manifold wisdom of God, and he isn't just the son of man on the cross. He's Alpha and Omega. He's the word of God's power, and he's coming to hold creation together by the life that he has in himself, right? That's what's going on there. And it's just as he purposed in Genesis from the beginning when God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Look what it says about a corn. It's a corn of wheat. A, a corn of wheat is, it's a grain of wheat. It's a seed that he's talking about there. Do you, I don't know if you guys know how a, a, a seed works. Because as a kid, I, I mean, I, I had a basic premise of how a seed works, but I didn't understand it exactly. You know, the way the seed works is it has an exterior shell. Right? And inside of this shell is nutrients. Right? And those are the nutrients that produce the tree or the plant or the flowers or the fruit. Right? Well, when a seed's dropped into the ground, the exterior shell dies. It falls away, but then the nutrients that are inside of the shell come pouring forth. Right? And it bears much fruit, or it produces a tree, or it produces a plant or it produces fruit. Now that's very interesting language for Jesus to be using when talking about the cross. It's very interesting language that he's using there. And so you know that Jesus is God's seed. The parable of the sower sowing the seed, it says that the sower sowed the word. Well, we, we lose sight of this, but the Father is the sower. And he sowed the word. And the word he sowed is Jesus. That's the word he sowed. And so Jesus is the seed of God. And the Father is sowing his seed at the cross. But how can he get his life into an earth that's dying? The scripture says Jesus was put to death in the flesh. So Jesus comes in the likeness of sinful flesh. He comes in an external covering that can die. Just like the external shell of a seed can die. 
But inside of that external shell that could die is the incorruptible word of God's life, is the incorruptible life of God himself. That's why death couldn't hold him. And so Peter, go read Peter. It's a magnificent thing, Peter says. For some, my whole life I was taught that death is spiritual. It's a spiritual death. It's a spiritual death. It's a spiritual death. And yes, death can affect your heart and can turn into a spiritual outflow. But it says Jesus was put to death in the flesh. The eternal word can't die. And that's the whole point. That's how the eternal word could bring a creation made subject to death out of death. He puts on a body that can die so that when his body dies, his body falls into the ground. And when it falls into the ground, that external shell falls off. And then that incorruptible seed springs forth in eternal life. <laughs> you see how we're talking about a new creation and all we're talking about is an incorruptible life? And what God did to bring forth an incorruptible life and how he sowed his own self into the earth to bring forth an incorruptible life. Jesus described himself as a seed. Unless the seed falls into the ground. Well, whose seed do we think he is? He's not the seed of Joseph. <laughs> we know that Mary was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. So it's the seed of God himself that was born of a woman, born of a virgin, for the purpose of having a body, a body in the likeness of sinful flesh, that could die. And that in it dying, the incorruptible life, the incorruptible seed of the Father could spring forth and carry upon itself the creation that was made subject to death. Right? And we see these same examples in Genesis and the cross. Listen, guys, this will mess up your mind, but the cross is an act of creation. And it looks exactly like creation in Genesis, if you think about it. Wasn't there darkness all around the cross? Wasn't it swirling around? Well, what do we see in Genesis? Darkness. Isn't it? Chaos. Darkness. Didn't it look like chaos? And darkness when Jesus was on the cross? Isn't that what was, what was there? What did God do when he saw darkness and chaos on the face of the deep in Genesis? He said, let there be light. Didn't he? He showed his word. He showed Jesus. He released out of himself Alpha and Omega. John comes and says, in Jesus was life. Whose life? Jesus says the Father has life in himself, and he has given that I would have his life in myself also. And John comes and says, in Jesus was the Father's life, and that life is the what? The light of men. That's the same light that was released into Genesis in chapter 1. And it was God sowing his seed, sowing his word, in order to bring forth a creation that was clothed in life. Does that make any sense? Amen. I'm really restraining myself because I want to get all fired up and just tear, tear into it. Right? But I, I, want to, I want us to try and be able to track with this and think together with the Lord. Right? And I know we can get caught up in this kind of mindset that we got to feel a goosebump when someone's preaching, and that's the power. You can go to a secular concert and feel a goosebump. Right? So powerful preaching isn't just, oh, you felt nice when they were done. 
and you thought, my goodness, look how that guy can talk without any notes. That's carnal thinking. And there's a lot of value sometimes in sitting and slowing down and thinking together and thinking with God about this and letting the Holy Spirit unwrap it for us, right? The, the cross is, Paul called the cross the manifold wisdom of God, the many-sided wisdom of God. Well, we've only been focusing on one side of that wisdom, and we only had Jesus as the Son of Man at the cross. We've struggled to see that's Alpha and Omega. That's God creating the new creation. Do you know what that does in your heart when you see the great length that God went through to bring forth His creation out of death? I mean, He's sentimental towards us. We're the apple of His eye. He, he could have just scrapped all of us and started anew. You guys realize that, right? He could do whatever He wants. Nobody forced Him to do that. There's not a law in heaven that says He has to save the first creation. But He felt a certain way when He looked at us. When He saw us flapping around like a fish that doesn't have oxygen. When He saw that we were a creature made for life and that life was our oxygen. But we were in a world where there was no life and so there was no oxygen. And we were flapping around like a fish. He looked at us and He didn't feel pity because pity is something you feel for a creature that you don't see yourselves in their face. What he felt was compassion because he saw himself in our face and he knew that we were his children. And he knew what would happen when he came. He didn't think he'd be well received. He knows what death does to people that were made for life. He knows what it can bring forth in us. He knew He would come to heal and to save us and that we would reject Him. And He came gladly. It's for this cause He came. So that outer body, that outer shell could be torn apart by the same sin and death that was tearing us apart. Because He knew it wasn't possible for that death to hold Him because He's got an incorruptible life. And that's how He was once again creating, just like in the first Genesis. That's how He sowed His Word. The Word of what? John would come and say the Word of life. That which was from the beginning, which we have held, which we have seen, which we have handled, which we have touched of the word of life. He sowed the seed of his life into the earth. And you know what sprang up? The tree of life. And that tree of life wasn't accessible to people in the earth. Because if you remember when Adam planted death in the earth, the cherubims marked off the tree of life. Because God refused to grant eternal life to Adam standing in death forever. We will not let him live forever in bondage to death. And so no one had access to the tree of life. And so God sees us and he's filled with compassion. He loves us so much that it, this is a, it, it, it messes up my head. He loves us so much. He wants to be with us so bad you ever have somebody that just wants to be with you wherever you're at, even if where you're at is ugly? Because they get so much joy out of just being with you. He gets so much joy out of just being with us that even when we were filled with all of that hell, he wanted to come and be with us. He wasn't going to leave us alone. It broke his heart to think of us being alone in the dark, confused, afraid, thinking that we're all alone in the cold, heartless, little world. I call it the secrets of God's heart. You know, it says that Adam wasn't deceived, that Eve was deceived. 
That's an interesting thought. I started thinking, well, then why? What's Adam doing? And again, there's many things you can see in Adam, so I'm not excluding some of the things you can see in Adam. Do you know one of the things Adam declares to us is God? Because God created everything, and God made everything. And when he made everything, he was looking for someone that could be like him, someone that looked like him, someone he could share life with, someone that could know what it's like to feel his love and that they could talk about his love with each other. And he made the trees, and the trees were good, he says, but the trees didn't quite do it for him. And he made the water and the stars and all the beautiful things in the earth, but he didn't see anything that was quite like him. Isn't that what we see Adam doing with all the animals when he's naming the animals? But he didn't find anything that was quite like him. And so then God gets, let us make man. And he makes man. And now he sees man and he sees they. Our flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. They look like me. They are my kind. They can feel what I feel. They can be my friend for all eternity. We can walk and talk. So Adam goes through all the animals and it says he didn't find anyone that was like him. He's trying to tell us something about God. It said, Paul says that God uses creation to declare the invisible things of God. And Adam is trying to declare something about the invisible God to us. So then Adam didn't find anything. He didn't find anyone he could share his life with. And then God brings forth Eve out of his side. Isn't Jesus the last Adam? Didn't we come out of the side of Jesus? Isn't Jesus God? So then God brings forth Eve. And what does Adam say? She's flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. See, but then something happens. Eve eats from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now Eve's dying. Adam knows. Adam wasn't deceived. He knows the tree brings death. And so now Eve is eaten from the tree that brings death. And so now the being that he was like, whoa, man, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. Here's someone I could share my life with. Now she's partaken of death. And it rent him on the inside to think that she would be alone and afraid in a cold, dark corner, thinking that no one cared. And he said, I'd rather die with her than let her die there alone, thinking she's by herself. And so he went and entered into her death with her. This is the same thing Jesus did. Because we're God's Eve. And when we partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we were dying, it rent God in the inner part of his being to think of us being scared and alone in a corner crying, filled with fear, as death was swallowing us. And he couldn't take it. And so he came and entered our death with us. I think of it with my wife, right? And that's how God really hammered it home with me. He showed me a picture of my wife. And he was trying to express to me what he felt. Boy, and it really hit home. He said, imagine you come home one night, Greg, and you're getting close. Y'all have to excuse me if I start to cry. It's just like you can feel what God felt. You can feel what God felt. You have the Holy Spirit. It can be as if you were there watching it feeling what he felt. We're not far from him. He's not far from us. And he said, Greg, imagine you come around the corner and you start to see lights flashing everywhere. And you see fire truck lights going off. And you see police lights going off. And you keep going. You don't see where they're at yet. You know, you just see something's going on. 
And then you get closer to your street and you see they're all in front of your street, in front of your house. And you see that your house is on fire. And so you get out of your car and you run up to the barricade because the police and the fire people, they put the barricade there. You run up there and they tell you your wife is in there and they can't get her out. I don't care what those dudes say. I don't care how much they tell me there's certain death for you. I don't care how many of them try to keep me. I would rather, I, I want to say a cuss word, but I won't. I'd be condemned before I'd let that woman die in there alone. I'd be condemned to hell before I let her die in there alone. The thought of her being in the corner while the flames were encroaching on her and her thinking she was all alone and her crying, the thought of that tears me in the deepest part of my being where I would never let it be. And I'd rather go in there and die with her just so I could have those last moments of holding her and looking her in the face and her knowing she wasn't alone. But that's God. And that's what God felt when we were dead in sin. And you start to know God like this. You start to, you start to find your life shaped by the love of God. Right? And you start to really know Him. And you start to see how He, he, he allowed death to tear His body apart. Right? And that even in those moments where he's in anguish, this is the part that's hard for us because it's not like it would be pleasant for my flesh when I got into the house and I knocked everybody out of the way. Because like a Hercules or a Samson strength would come upon you, right? Get out of the way. You would just bulldoze people. They talk about people coming, being coming over with the supernatural strength, right? Where they like pick up cars when their loved one's over it. I mean, you just start knocking people out of the way. It's not like when you got in there to be with your wife and the flame started encompassing your flesh that that would feel good, is it? But yet there's part of me that can't wait to get in there just to be with her and hold her. Because even if that's where she's at, I'm going to find some kind of satisfaction in being there with her. And even as Jesus' body is being torn apart by sin and death, as we're all standing there, we're being torn apart by the same sin and death. And He even derived a certain amount of joy and satisfaction that He could be there with us. And it isn't just a selfish satisfaction that He's deriving. Because he knows after he brings us forth out of the grave, after he bears upon the shoulders of his life a new creation, a creation that's come out of the grave that can never die again, he knows we're going to see what he did. And he knows that's going to wreck us. That's God at the cross. That's God. We struggle to see that's God. I've been saying this verse a lot on, on this trip. Go and read. Write this down for those of you that like to read the Bible. Go and read Acts chapter 20. I think it's verse 28. Do you know what it says? It says God shed His own blood. Go and read it. You're going to want to read it again. Because it's going to cause you to... What? What?
This is what we're talking about when we're talking about a new creation. We're talking about the great length that God went through in order to bring us out. He himself went into the death. And then he himself came out of it so he could bring us out of it, right? But now we're walking in the newness of life, right? Which is what Colossians talk about. There's a new man now, right? Colossians 3.10, and I'll finish with this first. You guys have been so patient with me. Um, I wasn't going to go there, but I just felt like God wanted to tell all of you how much he loves you and what he went through and what he did and why he did it and what he felt when he was doing it. I mean, Jesus had to partake of the death that comes from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So he saw us there and he came and partook of it. He knew what would happen. He wasn't deceived, just like Adam wasn't deceived. Jesus wasn't deceived. He knew he was coming to enter into our death with us. Colossians 3.10, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him, that created him. The new man is the new creation. That's who the new man is. It's just another way of saying that. The new creation walks in the newness of life. It means you walk a different way when you see you have life, right? It changes the way you walk in this earth when you see that you have life. And so the new man walks in this world knowing they possess everything that pertains to life and godliness in Christ Jesus. They walk in this world knowing they possess everything because they walk in this world knowing the Father has shepherded their life. That's what they see. They see their life has come forth on the shoulders of Jesus' indestructible life. This is the new man we're talking about. This is the new creation. This is how they walk in the earth. They no longer walk in this world as if their life is held in the happenings of this world or the things in this world. They don't behold their lives in the corruptible things in this world. They behold their lives in the incorruptible creation that God brought forth. They no longer walk in this world as if their life is but dust. They no longer live in this world as if their life is subject to tribulation or corruption. They no longer live in this world as if their life can be stolen from them or if something can be stolen from them. They don't live in the world that way. But they walk knowing that they've been made partakers of the divine nature. And this is what Peter says. He, say, he says we're saved from the corruption in the earth on account of being made partakers of the divine nature. And what does it mean to be saved from the corruption? It means lust has no ability to be conceived in our heart. Because lust, listen guys, we've defined lust by lusting after a woman or something. That's the fruit of lust. When it talks about lust, it's talking about us lusting after life through our own strength. When we lust after life through our own strength or through the things in the world, that's when the fruit of death comes out of us. We haven't understood even the way these things work. That's what lust is. You're lusting after peace. That's why it's so easy to be deceived because none of us think it's evil to want peace. And so the moment we start doing things to try to gain peace or gather joy to ourselves, peace and love and joy is good. And so we don't even see that we're lusting after it. But that's what it means to lust. And the corruption in the world tries to get us to gather peace and love and joy to ourselves. Now we're saved from the lust that's in the world because of corruption by God giving us his incorruptible life. There's no lack in his incorruptible life. There's a peace and a love and a joy that passes understanding. Do you know what it means? Do you know what it means that there's a peace and a love and joy that passes understanding? 
It's not at the mercy of the things going on in the world to be there. That's why it passes understanding. It's the kind of joy you have that don't make no sense that you have it. It's the kind of peace you have that don't make no sense that you have it. It's the kind of love you feel that it makes no sense that you should feel loved. Because how could it make sense that you would feel loved when the world's nailing you to a cross? Because it's an incorruptible love. That means the sin and death in the world can't keep it down. It's an incorruptible joy. The sin and death in the world can't keep it down. Right? Oh, glory to God. That's how you put on the new man. You behold your life in Jesus. You don't put on the new man by doing good deeds. That's not how you do it. You put on the new man in the same way you would put on like a suit. When I went and got fitted for that suit, they got corrupted by moths. <laughs> I promise you the lamb God clothes you in cannot be corrupted by moths. Because he clothed Adam in the life of his lamb. And that's the suit he made for us. The way you put on the new man, if I could paint you a picture, is God is like a master tailor. And he's fitted the robe of his life for you. And he's holding the jacket. You know, when they tailor the suit for you, they don't leave you to put the jacket on yourself. They hold the jacket out and you come and put in one arm all nice while they hold it. And then they pick it up and allow you to slide your other arm. And then they fit it on you. And then they come around the other side and fix it all up for you. And then they turn you around and show you yourself in the mirror. That's how you put on the new man. Right? God's the one who clothes you in the new man. And the role we play is we behold ourselves having been clothed by God. And as you behold yourself having been clothed by the indestructible life of God, what happens is, is you find yourself walking in the newness of life. And you find the fruit of life coming out of you. And you find all the things that were consistent with the old man falling away from you. And the old man is not a man that's ugly to God. The old man is a man that's clothed in death. Paul said, who will save me from this body of death? He says. We've lost sight of these things in the gospel. Paul described the torment that came from seeing himself clothed in death. That's how God sets us free. Right? You've been swaddled. You know how babies are born in blood? See how they come and swaddle the baby from the blood? Well, our sin was red as crimson. We were in our blood. We were dead in our sin. And God never was ashamed to call us his own. And he came and swaddled us from our blood with his life. Right? And now he's wrapped us in his light, in his life. And that's what we're supposed to think of when we think of a new creation. Right? Because that life will minister nutrients to our hearts. Glory to God. Thank you guys for your, your patience. And let me preach for a long time. You want to? Thank you, sir, for allowing me the privilege. Bless. Greg, it's just a blessing just to hear so much. I'm so grateful it's being recorded. There's some things I just want to reflect on. And uh, as Michelle was saying, every time we hear the gospel, even the same message Said something great there.